most names, not all, but most names are trying to convey some kind of idea, either something somewhat literal, like you're naming a coffee shop, and so you want people to think about coffee when they hear the name, or something much more abstract. You want, you know, if you're virgin, you want it to be provocative. Welcome to the special episode series of Brand Start, where we dive deeper into the world of branding. Let me take you on a journey of discovery of what branding really is, its most important facets, and how you can leverage branding to grow your business. Hear it from different branding experts from all over the world. What is up, everyone? It's Leonard here and continuing with our special branding series. Today, we are talking about one of the most important facets of any brands, its name. In this episode, we will discuss the art of brand naming and the underlying principles and tactics that make up a great brand name. It's my pleasure that I have in the show today to share his many years of expertise as a professional namer, Rob Meyerson, who is the principal at Heirloom an independent brand and identity design consultancy based in the U.S. He is also the host of How Brands Are Built podcast and the author of the acclaimed book, Brand Naming. Rob, welcome to Brand Start. Thanks, Leonard. Happy to be here. Let's begin by having you share a bit more information about yourself. Can you please tell us more about your background and what you do as a professional namer and brand strategist? Sure. I've been working in brand strategy for over 15 years now. I work with clients of really all sizes in all industries, although because I'm in California, close to Silicon Valley, I I do work with a lot of tech companies, startups, and some of them are B2B, larger B2B tech companies. And my work is mostly brand strategy, so positioning or brand architecture. And then, as you mentioned, I do quite a bit of naming as well, and uh, so much so that I wrote a whole book about it. And I've read it. It's such a very comprehensive book. While I'll be asking some some key questions, but I really recommend for listeners to to take a look at that. To just to set things up for our listeners, Rob. For today, I want to focus, as I said, on brand naming, and I want to start with some tactical discussions, uh, so that our audience can really get some tangible items from this. But towards the end, I want to also go macro as we dive deeper in our talk today. In your book, as you mentioned, in your book, Brand Naming, you classified all brand names along two dimensions and key naming approaches. And I thought this is a good way to start the conversation. Can you share with us what are these two dimensions for brand names and maybe an overview of the naming approaches? Sure. So there are lots of different kinds of brand names. And if you look around and start to think more deeply about brand names, you'll notice uh, these different types. And so If you look online, you'll see lists of different types of brand names, but a lot of those lists are problematic because uh, they have some redundancies or they'll call one name one thing when really it's another thing. Um, So the way most namers do it, and and I can't take credit for inventing this, I'm really just uh, documenting it in the book, is, is by classifying names on two dimensions. The first is called naming approach, and that is how abstract or descriptive the name is. So a name like Virgin, uh, which was originally a record store, does not tell you it's a record store. That's a real word, but it does not tell you what the the business is. Whereas uh, a store like the Container Store, which sells boxes and other containers, 
That's very descriptive, tells you exactly what it is. So that's a range, and a lot of names fall somewhere in between. And in the middle of that range, we usually call it suggestive uh, or evocative or something like that. The other way that the other dimension or the other way to think of brand names is the construct. So what is what are the actual words comprising the name? So there are real words like virgin that I mentioned or the container store. Those are also real words. Uh, there are coined words, made up names, Kodak, uh, Febreze. These are just made up words that, that companies or products use. And then there are also compounds, which is taking two real words and smushing them together. And you see, you see this in a lot of brand names. Um, Zipcar is kind of an old, outdated example of this. Uh, we have Postmates and Grubhub, at least here in the US, delivery services. Um, so that's kind of a popular way of making something sound like a brand uh, by just taking two words and fusing them. I should say that those two dimensions, that doesn't cover every type of brand name. It, some of your listeners may, may be wondering about uh, abbreviations like uh, IBM or NASA. These are uh, initialisms or acronyms. Those are a little harder to categorize. They're sort of a category unto themselves. Um, and then one other category that I talk about is I, I call foreign language names. Um, now, this really is contextual. If you're doing business uh, in the U.S. with English speakers and you're, you know, an English-speaking company, then foreign language means pulling a name from any other language. But of course, if you're mm -hmm. doing business in Italy with Italian customers, then it would be, uh, it could be pulling it from English. Um, and and those are still real words, uh, but you're choosing to use a foreign word, which could have certain implications for how the name is uh, interpreted by your customers. That's that's a really very structured and strategic way of looking at it. I mean, I've been I've been exposing myself to to a lot of brand names also, but I never I never thought of like realizing that there's actually a two two way of looking at it, as you mentioned. So the naming approach and the naming construct, and and this immediately tells us how intricate and complex the naming process is. So I, I'd also like to ask if a business is looking to either launch a company, a new brand, product, or service, perhaps, and obviously they'll need a name for it in such a complex process, where should they start to ensure that they are setting themselves up to achieve the best possible name for their requirement, Rob? Sure. Uh, the place to start is with their brand strategy, um, which hopefully they either already have in place or they have a you know, that's a separate process for getting the brand strategy in place, just understanding what is the brand, who is it for, what do they want people to think of when they think of the brand. And that that should where that migrates into the naming process is in in a naming brief. Um, so that's really where the naming process starts is by documenting the strategy in the naming brief, which includes the answers to the questions I just mentioned, but also some more naming oriented questions. Uh, if there are any specific parameters, does it need to be a certain length? Does it need to include certain words or or, or not? Um, and so filling out a brief like that, I have a, a free template that I make available or, or there's one in the book. Um, it's not the only way to do it, but you know, getting something down on paper, so to speak. And then the really critical thing about that brief right at the beginning is making sure that all the key decision makers, anyone who's really going to have uh, veto power or you know be involved in the final decision, that they see that brief, that they read that brief, and that they agree to it or you know make edits if necessary, because that is going to be your your guiding document 
for the mm-hmm. rest of the naming process, which, as you mentioned, can be uh, it can be difficult. It can sometimes be time-consuming and expensive. Hopefully, not always. Um, so you really want to make sure you get it right and don't have to do it over again because the brief was wrong or somebody didn't see the brief. Logically, it should really start with the brand strategy because that always serves as your core foundation for any businesses. But in the whole naming naming process, you start with the naming brief. And typically, this is written by either a founder, a CEO, or a chief marketing officer, or even an agency, right? Sure, it could be. Yeah, it could. so uh, with my clients, I'll often uh, create the brief and then ask them to make edits to it. Um, I know a lot of uh, agencies or namers who just give a sort of a blank template to the client and yeah, have their head of brand or somebody on the marketing team. Uh, I think that's usually who would probably create the brief, but then it would be approved by uh, a CEO or a CMO or something like that. Of course, if you're at a, talking about a three-person startup, then the founders or co-founders are going to be the ones filling it out probably. Yeah. And I, I I love how you emphasize that this should be your 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 guiding document. And that's why you need a consensus from, from the team. Um, because I know naming can be can become a very subjective process and it's gonna be very tricky on how you remove all the biases as you go along. So it's very important that you start with the naming brief and it's preluded by by the brand strategy, I suppose, right? So there has to be like like a connection in between. Uh, right. No doubt brand name is, is a, one of the components that you have to be able to do very correctly because it's something that you will use almost in perpetuity. So I'd like to also ask, what are the common mistakes that, that businesses or even brand firms should avoid in creating a brand name? Sure. Uh, there are so many different ways to think of the mistakes. Um, you know, big picture, I think thinking that it's easy or thinking that uh, they'll get it done in a week um, are some misconceptions that that they need to uh, get out of their heads right away. Um, but in the actual process, once they have uh, understood that there is a process, uh, the brief is a good place to start also with where mistakes start getting made. So I already mentioned one really big mistake, which is forgetting to get the right people to approve the brief. Um, but also the brief has to be, has to work. Um, so it has to be, uh, it has to have ideas in it that you could convey through a name. It has to be um, sort of tight enough that uh, it guides people in a direction. And it's not so wide open that you haven't really um constrained yourself at all. Um, same token, you don't want to constrain yourself too much. You want to give yourselves a, a little bit of wiggle room to come up with creative ideas. So um, I know that you know sounds hard without further explanation, but you just need to strike a balance and have kind of a, a good brief that, uh, that gives you a little puzzle to solve with the name, but um, makes it neither too hard nor impossible. Um, so that's one place. I think another big place where people make mistakes uh, is when we get over towards the legal availability part of naming. Um, So that is part of why naming is so tough, um, why it can be, uh, why why some people really get frustrated with naming um, because so many of their great ideas get shot down by the lawyers. Um, And so that's a place where you kind of need to understand what you're getting into. um, And the more you can do to uh, prepare yourself and kind of build into your process something to make sure that you're finding available, quote unquote, available names, the better. 
That process of legal vetting usually happen towards the latter part of the whole process, or should it happen in between? Yeah, it happens. So the way I do it, it happens twice, basically, um, uh, in different ways. So right in the middle of the process, I, I do what I call preliminary trademark screening uh, or pre-screening. And that is uh, another term for that is a knockout search, which I think is more self-explanatory. You're knocking out ideas that have obvious legal issues. So you might have uh, 200 ideas that you like. If you can quickly go through those 200 and just cross out the ones that, oh, there's a direct competitor using exactly that name or something that sounds exactly like that, just cross those out really quickly and get yourself down to 75. That's a really huge uh, step toward ensuring that you don't accidentally get too far along in the process with 10 names that everybody loves, but you can't have any of them. Um, so that's right in the middle of the process. And then, yes, much closer to the very end of the process, I would bring in a lawyer, uh, and a, you know, it's an experienced trademark attorney to do deeper vetting, hopefully on just uh, five or so top candidates uh, for the final name. Yeah, the thanks for that. And I think that's very important because you wouldn't want to go and, and do a lot of the work only to find out in the end that you can't even use any of it. All right. Yeah. Uh, you also mentioned one of the mistakes is really the mindset and, and the belief that naming is an easy task, that you can actually go through it for just a few weeks. In your experience, how long does, does a naming, a whole naming process usually take? I think um, the, the standard answer to that is something like six weeks. Um, but it really depends. I mean, I've done it much more quickly than that. Um, and I'm sure there are situations where it takes much longer. It, you know, like any creative project uh, or really any project, it depends partly on how many different people need to approve it, how many rounds of revisions, you know, the, you, you need to make. Um, one of the big variables is how long the lawyers take. So mm -hmm. that is something that you can find out early, hopefully, um, if you have a good relationship with your trademark attorney and engage them early on in the process, you should have some sense of whether they're gonna need 72 hours or five weeks to you know, do that deeper vetting. Um, I've seen, yeah, I've seen it take anywhere from three days to three weeks. Um, and so that can vary as well. Yeah. In your book, you you actually laid out a very detailed approach and process in naming. So I won't go through to the rest of it. But you, as you said, it starts with the naming brief and then you shared so many techniques on how you can come up with the list. But at what I also got there, which I, I thought was very important and you emphasize this in your book, is how difficult it is to, to do the short listing process because you need at least to have 100 names. So I'd like to jump from, from the early part and go to the towards the latter part of the whole process. Say you're choosing a name for a brand and you're already at the final shortlist of the name options. Uh, my question is, what are the key criteria that you will be looking for uh, to decide which one should be the final name? How do you narrow down 100 yeah. names to a 50 to 20 and then go with what should be the final name for, for your requirement? Hi, thank you for listening to Brand Start. We are pausing for a quick break. Are you planning to launch a new healthy F&B product in the market? Unsure of how to position and brand it? Or maybe you want to relaunch an existing healthy F&B brand to help increase sales and customer loyalty. Well then, you've come to the right place. 
At The Vineyard, we help healthy F&B companies in building brands that stand out on the shelves, increase product sales, and drive repeat purchase. If you're interested in working with us, head on to www.thevineyardbc.com to jumpstart your brand development journey. Sure. Well, the name, the, the second step after the naming brief is generating hundreds of ideas. And so the rest of the process, once you've done that, is slowly narrowing it down from mm-hmm. maybe a thousand to one. Um, and that happens in a number of different ways, uh, including the legal, which is the legal process and other screening is going to knock out a lot of a lot of ideas. But really, when you're making just decisions. So when it's legal, a legal thing, it's almost like the decision is made for you. But when you're making decisions, either as a namer or as a, a client or, you know, as a business that's coming up with a name, it really should come back to that brief. Um, so what is the brief? dictate, you know, what do we want the name to say maybe, or what do we want it to make people feel? Um, And uh, who's the audience? So making sure that you're putting yourself in their shoes and not just thinking, what do I like or hate? Um, But what is going to get the job done? What Mm -hmm. is going to make this person think that thing uh, is is kind of a hard, you have to have some empathy and, and put yourself in that person's shoes. Um, there are other criteria that are a little more universal. I think generally shorter is better, you know, all else being equal. Um, you want it to be easy to pronounce, easy to spell if possible. Um, so I actually list, I list about nine uh, criteria in the book, but I don't think there is any perfect list of criteria or any checklist that every name has to check. Um, I instead prefer to just think of categories, and I, I list three in the book. So there, there's thinking about the name strategically. Um, so does it have the right meaning? Does it differentiate from competitors? Things like that. Uh, creatively, so is it just memorable? Is it you know cool or sticky or whatever you want to think of uh, as the way that that you want your name to work? Um, does it roll off the tongue? Some of these more aesthetic qualities. And then the last is technical. So it's strategic, creative, and technical. And the technical category does include that legal availability, but it also includes what we didn't talk about, linguistic viability. So making sure that it doesn't mean something bad in another language or that it's you know impossible to pronounce for people in this country where you're hoping to do business. Um, and, you know, and that it doesn't have any really big challenges from a spelling or pronunciation standpoint. That's really great. Um, you have so many years of experience in professional naming, and I'm curious to ask this: Have there been any significant changes or even trends to how brands are named from when you started up to now? I think that the basic process has not changed. The, the, so I list out a seven-step process. Um, you can kind of break that up differently. So some people might say it's only five steps, but it's basically the same process. I don't think that's changed. Um, there, there have been some technological advancements uh, that can make the pre-screening, both legal and linguistic, a little easier or quicker. Um, there, uh, there are many, many more trademarks registered now. And so that's gotten harder, I think. Mm-hmm. And then the other things that have changed have just been trends over the past 15 years. So um, I think we saw a lot more coin names uh, in the early 2000s. Um, also a lot more of these compound names with 
even with a with a capital letter in the middle, like PayPal with the capital P twice. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a you know there was a trend where everybody had like a color or a fruit in their name, like red mango or like that. Um, and then there was the whole LY thing where all the startups <laughs> had a Y on the end. So we've seen these trends kind of come and go, and and frankly tried to avoid them if you're a good namer. Um, because you don't want your name to look like it came from 2010. Um, but I don't think the actual process of naming has changed all that much at the fundamental level. Okay. Uh, what about any challenges? Are you, are you seeing any major challenges within the space or, or discipline of brand naming that companies should be wary about? I, I think, you know, the increasing uh, number of registered trademarks uh, across the world. So, you know, during this conversation or, or as people are listening to this episode, um, I would say probably 800 or more uh, new trademarks are going to be uh, registered. A lot of them are in China. Um, that, that's the fastest growing market. So if you're not doing naming for the Chinese market, um, at least you don't have to worry as much about that. But anyone can go look at the U.S. Uh, patent and trademark office free available database as well and you'll see if you know generally your first 10 name ideas for something uh if you just type them in there you'll find that somebody else is using them for something uh similar to what you want to use it for probably uh so that's that's a big challenge um you know other than that i i don't think there are really new challenges uh necessarily it's um it's just trying to continually be creative uh, in a space mm-hmm. where it feels like uh, lots of good ideas have been taken already. But I don't think that's unique to naming. I think that's uh, you know pretty much any creative or or creative service. Um, you know, on the one hand, it always feels like I mean, it feels like every song has been written too. But there are a hundred great <laughs> pop songs every year, despite that. So. Uh, so yeah, it's just it's that challenge of of coming up with something new uh, that works for every client. Yeah, and that's a great way to put it. That that's how I'd feel about it. You know, there are so many brand names globally, and you sometimes think, how can you even come up with something that's not been used before? But so I love how you put that into perspective. It's not just in the naming, actually, across different creative spaces. You just have to be as creative as possible, and in allude to that. You you have also an approach that you call territories, idea territories, uh, when, yes. when coming up with some naming ideation process. Uh, care to share about that, uh, Rob? Yeah, I, so I, I alluded to it a little bit when we were talking about the naming brief, but I, I would say probably the most important page in the brief in terms of uh, inspiring or directing the naming uh, generation is yeah what I call naming territories um or just core ideas that you're trying to express so most names not all but most names are trying to convey some kind of idea either something somewhat literal like you're naming a coffee shop and so you want people to think about coffee when they hear the name or something much more abstract you want you know if you're virgin you want it to be provocative and you want uh you know supposedly part of the thinking behind that name was that they they were new to this and they wanted to sort of have that freshness and convey that idea. Um, So getting those territories or ideas into the brief and getting everyone to agree, yes, we want the name to make people think this and not that uh, is, Mm -hmm. is one of the most critical uh, parts of the brief. And that's generally where I start as a namer. Um, 
it's it's not that different than what you would expect. If the if the brief says fast uh, because we want to name a fast computer or a fast running shoe, then I am probably going to start just thinking of every possible way to say fast, everything that I can think of that's fast, uh, how people say fast in different languages around the world. That's kind of the the most obvious way to get started on naming, and and so that is a good place to start, but. But that's also where you'll find that all those ideas have probably been used already, and you start. You need to start thinking of more interesting angles. I mean, it's not just that they've already been used; it's also that you know I think the best names are a little bit surprising. And so, if you call your fast shoe Speedy, um, not only is that probably taken, but it's also kind of dull, um, and it doesn't really uh, catch anybody's interest. Yeah. Thanks for that. A couple more questions before we wrap this up, Rob. My next question, I might be putting you a little bit on the spot here, but you have many years of of names under your belt. Uh, is there any particular naming project or naming output or that is very memorable to you or you feel very proud of, if you can think of anything? And sure. why is that so? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and maybe it's um, partly for sentimental reasons. The first naming project I did uh, with heirloom. So, so not the first one I'd ever done, but when I went out on my own, um, and started heirloom, the first naming project I did was for, a, a, an HR tech startup in Canada. And, uh, they had a name that they really could not work with. They, they'd been operating under this name for years, but were realizing that it was holding them back in a pretty big way. And so, um, I worked with them to rename the company, uh, and they came to me with a strategy. So the strategy that they had uh, come up with, um, with another consultant, the, the sort of idea behind the brand was togetherness. And they wanted uh, to have their customers think of them as a partner that they would go together into their career future hand in hand, helping them find their next job. And so based on that, I uh, came up with a lot of, of ideas that expressed that idea and ended up naming the company alongside, um, that oh. they are alongside you for that process. And, you know, I, I love the name, uh, obviously, but I also just really enjoyed working with that client. It was a uh, just a really uh, interesting and I felt um, just really genuine about, you know, how they wanted to help people. It was a young group, the the CEO and co-founder that was involved uh, at every step, you know, they'd get on calls with them and the whole company would be in the room, um, which is daunting when you're trying to get everyone to agree on a decision. But I just felt like they were all so into it, so passionate about it. Um, and I love what they did with the name uh, in terms of turning it into a visual identity. And um, so, yeah, that, that was a fun one, uh, probably partly just because of sort of where it sits in, in my career. Uh, but I've done lots of work since then and before then that uh, that I am proud of and that, um, you know, that I love where the name ended up as well. Thank you for sharing that. that, that that's just also such a, a great name alongside and speaks so much already about the brand name, even if I'm not even familiar with it. L let me try to do some key recap here before I ask the final question. So we started with an overview of how we should take a look at brand names. So two things would be naming approach, either abstract or descriptive, and we have other details about it as well, and several ways on how to take a look at the naming constructs. 
and then we also talked about the mistakes. One is really you need to approach it with the right mindset, but on some tactical level, you know, you need to make sure that there's concurrence on the brief and you, you need to be able to write an effective brief. And you've emphasized this quite a number of times in our discussion, the legal availability aspect of, of the naming. And when you reach that, not really actually towards just the last part, but in the whole process, the a few criteria that you mentioned that you should also always be conscious about be the strategic criteria, its creativity, and then its linguistic viability, as you mentioned. Um, and challenges, uh, I think this is this is already big enough. That's why we don't need other challenges. Right? Good thing that there aren't any yet. Um, increasing number of trademarks, uh, which also relates to the other one, how you need to come up with a lot of new names. So anything you'd like to add to that before I ask the final question, Rob? No, I think that's a great recap. My final question to you is, as I said, you've been in the naming industry for about 15 years now, many, many years. I'm curious to ask, is there any particular instance that you've seen where the whole brand naming process turned out to be a disaster? Uh, what happened there and how did, it affect, how did it affect the project or the company? Oh, wow. We're, we're really going to end on a, on a sour note. Huh? The, <laughs> the worst, worst outcome. Well, I, I tell this story in, in the book and I've told it a few times and I have to be very careful, uh, you know, when you tell a bad story, I guess, about sort of who, who it was. But um, I, I, when you ask me pitfalls, I already mentioned this. Um, and so I'll just go back to it. This idea that you need to get the right people to look at the brief and agree to the brief. So I, I did have a client once who approved the brief very quickly. And I can't remember how or why, but I, I got the impression that uh, the client's boss had not seen the brief. And I said, are you sure that they're comfortable with this um, because they're gonna you know, approve the final name? And uh, my client said, yeah, yeah, uh, don't worry about it. He, he trusts us 100%. Um, he's, you know, I, I approve it on his behalf. Let's just keep, keep going and, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll be happy with the outcome. And I, even though I already knew, you know, I'd already learned this lesson. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I told, I said, I, I said, you really need to have the, your your boss look at it and approve it to the point that I actually upset my client. And my client called my boss and complained and said, you know, Rob's not easy to work with. He's pushing back really hard. I want to just keep moving and keep the momentum going. And then my boss had to talk to me and, you know, so it became kind of a thing and I, I relented and said, okay, let's just go, let's, let's name. And so we did weeks of naming and um, all the trademark screening, everything that I've described on uh, in this conversation. And then we flew down to where the client is located and we're about to walk in to present. Um, and my boss went in to chat with my client's boss, just sort of a little preview of what we were about to present. And my client's boss said, I never saw this brief. I, I don't, I don't like this brief. I don't agree with, I don't agree with the things that you said you wanted the wow. name to do. Um, all of these names are <laughs> off base because the brief is wrong. Um, and he texted me this as I'm standing outside, ready to walk in and present names. <laughs> and I <laughs> oh, no. back, like, should we just get back on the plane? Like, I don't want to walk into a room knowing that I'm about, I mean, it's hard enough to present creative work, right? It's already mm -hmm. kind of nerve wracking. But when you know that you're not even going to be able to, that you don't have any chance of selling any of the work. Um, and and I can't remember why, but we ended up presenting it anyway. And um, I don't think it went 
that bad, but we knew already that we were going to have to scrap everything and, and start over. Um, and so it was this really bizarre, I told you so moment, but of course you can't say that to <laughs> paying the bills. So I just kind of sucked it up and kept moving. But um, I mean, it won't surprise you, I don't think, or your listeners to know that it's pretty hard to recover from something like that, right? In a, in a yeah. consulting engagement, it leaves such a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And and then, you know, expectations have been kind of shifted. And uh, yeah, it, it, so you, you, even though I knew, I still couldn't avoid it. So that's just one more um, reminder to everyone to please, please try to avoid. <laughs> but sometimes it feels a bit unavoidable. Yeah, which is a perfect anecdote in terms of how we emphasize in this whole conversation. You always need to start with the naming brief and get everyone's concurrence before you even proceeded. Okay, I, I know I said it's supposed to be my last question, but I remember I wanted to ask you this on a personal note. Uh, it's also, I think, on a personal level that I'm very curious about it. What led you to pursue professional naming as a career? I mean, what is it about brand naming, Rob, that makes you feel fulfilled? Sure. So I, like most people, had no idea that it existed. Um, you know, went all the way through university and 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 you know beyond, and having still having no idea that this was a real job. Um, I got into branding sort of by mistake um, or just through sheer luck. Had a friend um, in the industry who connected me with somebody, and I was in a small office of Interbrand. The San Francisco office was twenty or thirty people when I got there. And luckily, it was small enough that their naming team, which was only two people, uh, needed some help. And they just asked everyone in the office if we could pitch in ideas, um, which was my first exposure to it. And I just fell in love with it. It just fit uh, with my brain so well. And now that I've been doing it for so long, I, I'm realizing, I think what it is that that sort of clicks with me is that it's it's a little puzzle. It's it's a little puzzle to solve, by which I mean that it's highly constrained, right? There are 26 letters in the English alphabet, and you're usually looking to use 10 of them or less in a name. Um, but within that, there are sort of infinite possibilities. And uh, I think that a lot of the creative uh, work that I'm drawn to, both doing it myself or uh, consuming it, enjoying it as a spectator, um, is that kind of thing. So if you think about uh, songwriting, for example, uh, most modern songs have a pretty set. They're actually quite rigid in terms of how they're set. They usually have the same uh, time signature, 4-4 four, four beats. They usually, if it's a pop song or, or a rock song, it has a verse and a chorus, and they repeat a certain number of times. Mm -hmm. But within that, uh, there are infinite possibilities. Um, I love cartoons and, you know, grew up reading Calvin and Hobbes and those are pretty set, right? Like Calvin and Hobbes, Bill Watterson had to use four frames every day in the newspaper and two characters, Calvin and Hobbes and a few others to convey all kinds of different jokes and, and laugh lines and ideas. Um, similar with some of the art that I like and things like that. So um, I think it's that it's the, the, combination of kind of fun uh that i have from it and then it being a real becoming a real business asset for people um which of course is what makes it um a job as opposed to just a hobby um i think that really kind of made me fall in love with it and have, has kept me interested in it all these years 
That's very inspiring. Rob, this has been a very fun conversation and thank you for all your insights. I, I really appreciate your time to be here. But before I let you go, can you please tell our audience what's the best place for people to learn about you and the work that you do? Sure. The easiest thing to do is go to robmeyerson.com. And from there, you'll find a link to um, my blog and podcast that you mentioned, How Brands Are Built. You'll find links to see a preview of the book or buy the book. Um, I also teach a class on naming at uh, a company called Domestica online that you can access from there. So that's a good sort of portal to um, look at everything else I'm doing. And of course, there, there are also social media handles there if you want to um, follow along on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. Great. We'll make sure to link those up in our show notes. Once again, Rob, it's a real pleasure having you. And thank you again. May God bless you. Thank you, Leonard. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Brand Start. If you want to learn more about brand development and how I help businesses build their brands, you can find me on LinkedIn and follow me on Instagram at Leonard Grape or visit our company's website at www.thevineyardbc.com. Hope you can also leave us a rating and help us help others by sharing this with a friend. See you in the next episode.